0: started today let's get going in god's word i want you to turn your bibles please to 2nd corinthians chapter number 10 and we'll get there in just a moment 2nd corinthians chapter number 10 we're going to start off uh this new year uh with a message entitled stay in your lane Uh, but be ready because we're actually going to flip the script on that title about halfway through this message appreciate mark northcutt uh, being here uh, last Sunday and preaching, Mark Northcutt right now is on his way to Indianapolis to, to actually see what's going to happen tomorrow night. Months ago, months ago, they, uh, he and a buddy uh, bought tickets to the game and they said, well, maybe Georgia will be there and maybe not. We can always sell the tickets and probably make money. And they could definitely uh, sell the tickets and double their money, but he's going. And so pray for Mark. Okay. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. I want you to get a picture in your mind, if you will, please, of a track and field track. It's kind of that oval. It's a quarter of a mile. You got all those lanes that are on that track, circle around the track. Think about those lanes. Think about being on that track. Think about staying in your lane. In track and field, you're always trying to go faster, better, higher, whatever the sport is that you're involved in, but you're always wanting to progress forward. Progress is something that every one of us want and desire, and we start off that way when we're just little infants. We start off by just trying to stretch out and reach toward one of our parents' hands. We try and pull ourselves up. We learn how to roll over. Then we learn how to crawl and walk and run, and it just keeps going. We're always wanting to go further, do more, become more. That is God-given within our lives in so many different ways, not only just physically but also emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. But we must be aware of the distractions that would try to overcome us, and we must overcome those distractions to be involved in what we are not supposed to progress in. Uh, A couple years ago, I watched a video, and I think I showed it here one Sunday, a video of a college track and field meet in which they were running the 400-meter race and there was they were all you know together and then a couple of them broke free and then one of them just broke free about that last lap he was coming around that last turn he's way ahead of the rest of the pack and he's on that final stretch and he kind of gives that look back to make sure he's going to win this race and sure enough he's thinking man i'm way ahead of everybody and he he just starts kind of looking around into the crowd and he's just taking in the moment He was just saying, you know, I don't want to let this moment pass me by. I'm going to take in this moment. I'm getting ready to win this race. But what he didn't realize was he was distracted by the crowd. He was distracted by the applause and he slowed his pace down. But there was another guy in second place who said, this race is not over yet. And of course, you know exactly what happened. He was just giving it all that he had. And in just the last half a second, edged out the guy who was in the lead, which totally shocked the guy who was in the lead because he thought he had won the race. How many of us have experienced distractions in life? How many of us have looked away, looked at something, and we got off course on what we really wanted to accomplish. We really wanted to reach this goal, we really wanted to reach out into this new endeavor, and we wanted to win or succeed or cross the finish line, but we got distracted. So let's today, for the next few moments, talk about staying in our lane and avoiding those distractions. One of the fastest ways for us to not reach that finish line and actually kill our uniqueness of the lane that we're in is to compare ourselves to someone else. When comparison is practiced, contentment ends or arrogance begins. When we begin to compare ourselves with other people and say, well, am I as good as they are? Do I have what they have? Do I have the skills that they have? How do I compare with other people? The first thing that can happen is that contentment ends. Instead of saying I'm content with what I have and who I am and the place and station of life that I'm in, we begin to, to not appreciate what we have, not appreciate our education or our experience or the size of our house or the number of zeros in our bank account or whatever it could be. Or, of course, the opposite could happen is that, oh, we feel like, man, I'm doing really good compared to those guys. Wow, I'm, I'm wonderful. And either one of those, of course, can cause us to be knocked off course. I ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. Let's read verses 12 and 13, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13. Here the apostle Paul is writing under in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. He says we're we're not going to go and boast beyond proper limits. We're not going to compare ourselves ourselves with other people. What we're interested in is pleasing God and making sure that our aim and our goal and our eyes are fixed on Him. Comparison makes you feel either superior or inferior, and neither one of those honors god you see we live in this attitude or this culture that has a consistent attitude of what i'm going to call er 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 it is a comparison culture and it says i want to be happy er and rich er and strong er and pretty er it's the er culture I, I'm I'm glad that you're whatever, but I'm going to be more than. And of course, that can lead to the attitude of est, est. I want to be happy, est and rich, est and pretty, est and strong, est. We we want to be on top. And here, the Bible tells us that's not the comparison that we need to look at. That's not the goal that we need to be. We're not comparing ourselves with other people. We're saying, God, what have you called me me to be? And I want to be the best that you've called me to be. I want to be my best, but it doesn't matter how I compare to other people. What matters is, Lord, what have you called me to do and what have you called me to be? Why do we compare? Why why are we distracted by looking around like this and finding out how we measure up? By nature, we have all realize that we are sinful by nature. We've all sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so by that, our nature, we have a sinful nature. And therefore that nature always calls us to try to pull away from God and not draw close to him. A sinful nature says, I want to do my thing, my way with who I want to do it with for as long as I want to do it. It's all about me. We have a sinful nature. So this trying to always compare ourselves is we're trying to find an external win to satisfy an internal loss. We're trying to find this comparison to where we can we can feel really great about ourselves so that we cannot feel bad about what's happening on the inside. We're sinful by nature, so we compare ourselves trying to find out where, where can I show myself great and strong? But I think we're finding out the end result of all of that is really not that we feel very great and strong, but that we feel very deflated because when we compare ourselves with ourselves, there's always somebody who's got more, is stronger, smarter, wiser, all of those things. Whether they really are or not, their Facebook shows it like they really are. They're putting it out there like they're the best. And for some reason, we're buying into it. And we think, wow, their vacation was better than mine. Lisa and I were first married and we had uh, small children. We just moved up here to Georgia. And so we had two young children. Caitlin hadn't been born yet. And so, and I'm a youth pastor and we decided before we were even married that when we had children, Lisa would stay home and, and, you know, raise the children and, and be in that situation. And there was a couple that lived across the street from us and they were a little older than us and they didn't have any children and they both had jobs, good jobs, I guess. And so they were always doing something to their house. They were always landscaping. They were driving nice cars. They were always buying stuff. And I'm like, I should be honest with you. I was like, well, that must be nice. Maybe one day, you know? And... Myself and the other gentleman living across the street, we, we had a neighborly relationship. We weren't, like, close or anything, but we talked, and, you know. So one day, I was just shocked. It just shocked me. We're sitting there talking, and he goes, yeah. He said, you know what? We, we had to ask my wife's uh, relative to borrow some money because we're about ready to go bankrupt. <laughs> I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I was like, well, maybe I do have more money than they have. <laughs> And we didn't have any money, you know? It's like, wow. But it goes to show you that just because it's a good picture doesn't mean it's reality. But when we compare, we run into problems. I want to read to you out of of a book, and I'm actually just reading now. It's written by another pastor, and he, he gets real honest about himself and a comparison game that he had been playing, and, and much of this was online through social media and so forth. So this will take just about one, one and a half minutes, and but uh, I think it's important uh, to, to read. Um, and he, he said, um, I noticed other churches and pastors, and it was hard not to compare and feel less than when we enjoyed a regular service while the pastor of the church I followed on Instagram baptized thousands, or so it seemed. (laughs) I rejoiced for the kingdom and was happy for the other church. After all, we're on the same team, right? So why did it still not feel so good in my soul? What did I do? I let the pressure to be more and to do better increase within me until its weight grew heavier, frequently feeling just average, just competent, a C-plus in comparison with my ministry peers. I tried harder but never seemed to gain any ground. There was just too many categories to conquer. I had read something that really resonated with me about how pastors today are expected to be business-savvy, tweet-quotable, and always brimming with positive, upbeat energy as evidence of their faith. We're required to be fully accessible, yet deeply spiritual, able to dive from the surface of current events to the depths of eternity in a nanosecond. Not too young and uh, inexperienced, and not too old and out of touch. While I knew it wasn't a realistic expectation, I felt immense pressure to be just right. The pastor Goldilocks would choose when church shopping. And if only... And if I only got three out of five stars for this week's sermon, I'd think about how to do better next week. Comparison culture was eating me alive. With each click, I experienced a reminder of who I would never be, what I seemingly couldn't get right, and where I might never go. I felt miserable. Instead of continuing to try harder or better yet Limiting my online experience, I eventually crawled toward a cave, depressed in my deficits. This guy that wrote this pastors a mega church in Alabama. It is real for all of us, this comparison culture that's really destroying us. But how do we then live with assurance and resilience in today's culture of comparison? Let's get to the how do we. Let's get to the let's progress forward part because we understand this comparison that we're living. Number one, we've got to realize that God supplies our identity and our purpose. It is God who supplies that. We've got to grab a hold of it and internalize it and live it and realize it and do it. But it is God who supplies our identity and our purpose. First is our identity. We're a child of God. If your faith is in Jesus Christ for your salvation, then you are a child of God. In other words, his his attributes are working within you. His, His genetics, if you will, are within you. And so then we have a new identity that though we are still on this planet, though we're still in this body, we are a child of God. And that is a powerful identity. Because we recognize that we are different than those who are not children of God. We need to be very careful again to the comparison issue. We've got to realize that God has chosen us to be his children and we've accepted that calling and we are different. The Bible says in the book of John that as to, many, as, to as many as accepted Christ, his Savior, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. And so God has chosen you. God has given you that title, that position of being a child of God. Not only are we children of God, but we have a purpose, we're to live on mission. I go all the way back to the book of Nehemiah. What a man with a mission. Nehemiah was a a scribe. He was actually a servant, if you will, in exile. But he had this burden for Jerusalem, the actual city, because he loved the Jewish people. He was Jewish and working for a non-Jewish king, if you will. And so he has this burden from the Lord to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls, literally rebuild these walls of Jerusalem as a as another step in the direction of being having a restoration of the Jewish people to the city of Jerusalem and so it's a long long story but he 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 gets the supplies he gets some people and he goes and they start rebuilding the wall but along the way there were those who opposed that you know there's always people who oppose good progress we're supposed to oppose bad progress, but there will always be people who oppose good progress. You just have to deal with that as a child of God. You just got to deal with it. And that's what he was experiencing. And so they were trying to trick Nehemiah to get him to come down. And, and I'm talking about physical harm being done to him. These guys were, the Bible describes it in a way that says they were, they were working with a, with a tool to rebuild the wall with one hand and they had their sword in the other not sure how you know how how realistic that was but that's the description is that they they were ready on both ends we're working but we're also defending while we work and so they tried to trick him and it says there in nehemiah 6:3 So I sent messengers to them. They tried to trick me to come down off of the wall. He said, so I sent a messenger back to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and I cannot come down. That is a good word. That is a good word. I am carrying on a great project and I don't have time to be distracted. I don't have time to deal with some comparisons. I'm carrying on a great project. He said, why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? See, Nehemiah had this. He said, listen, I am doing a great work, but then he recognizes the work is greater than I am. He said, I'm doing a great work, and I'm doing it, but the work is actually greater than I am. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Remember that vision that I asked you to have, that, that scene of the, the track and the lines staying in your lane? We're getting ready to flip that in just a moment. Number two, God supplies his spirit and guidance. Not only do we have an identity and a purpose, but we have his spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The word tells us, Jesus said, it's important that I go back to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can come to you. He's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to show you and guide you and empower you. Moses experienced this in the Old Testament. Remember Moses? He was the guy that led all the Jewish people out of Egypt. What a great leader. And he was so reluctant. God said, I'm choosing you, Moses, because you're going to speak to my people and you're going to lead them out of bondage. And you remember what Moses said? You'd have think he'd said, yes, I am going to be a great leader. Moses said, bad decision. I'm paraphrasing. Bad decision, God. Because I, I I can't I, I I have I I have problems sp- sp- speaking. I, I can I, how, how are you gonna I can't I don't know I it doesn't come natural I don't know how to speak. And God said don't worry about it. I'm paraphrasing. Don't worry about it. Moses kept saying no no I can't I can't. He said don't worry about it. I can't I can't. Finally God said. Okay, I'll get Aaron. He'll speak for you. Okay, let's go. But you're the leader. Let's go. God said, I'm empowering you. And every one of us are called to do something we can't do. Every one of us are called to say, God's saying, I've got something for you that I'm going to work in you. A work that is so marvelous. You'll look at it and you'll go, what just happened? I can't believe it. That's when we know it was God that did it and not us. God that did that. i me just share with you for just a moment. And you know, I know pastors and we talk and all that stuff and we're in this kind of season that we're in the last couple of years, especially the last year, year and a half. A lot of churches are are still at like 50 or 60% attendance and finances of what they were before all this mess. Remember that? Remember all that mess? And so they asked me, how are you doing? And I said, well, we're bigger and stronger now than we were then. And they go, really? Wow. Amazing. And that's the end of the subject. Here's the good part of that. If they thought I was doing it, they would go, what are you doing, man? Tell me what you're doing. They never asked me that question. It's a little depressing when you think about it a little bit, but... (laughs) But in reality, that's the greatest compliment. Because they look at me and they go, well, I know Chris isn't doing that because he's not that good. It must be a God thing. And that's what I see at Hope Crossings. It's a God thing. It's certainly not a Chris thing. It's a God thing. Because God's called all of us to do something that we can't do. Now Moses got, he, he had real favor with God because he, he got an exemption there, you know. But God's calling you to do something that's way bigger than what you can do alone. But he's saying, what is your lane? What am I called you to do? Don't look that way and don't look that way. Just stay in your lane. But has he really called us to stay in our lane? We think about the spirit being given to us and the guidance that he gives to us, and that spirit comes along and he says, okay, I'm going I'm to fill you, and what I'm going to do is then give you a gift. Maybe it's mercy or maybe it's prophecy, or maybe it's organization or hospitality, or maybe it's giving, or maybe it's a tongues and interpretation, or maybe it's the discerning of spirits and all these gifts that are given to us. And they're described to us in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and other parts of the New Testament. He said, I'm giving you this gift. And if we don't, if we make a mistake, we might think, yeah, that's my lane. I got to stay in my lane. You know, when you're running track and field, if you step over into the other guy's lane, you know what happens, right? You're out. It's over for you. You can't step in somebody else's lane. If, we gotta, if, if we're not careful, we we'll begin to think of that, that this is my gift. My gift is mercy or organization or hospitality, whatever your gift is, and i got to stay in my lane. I can't go into somebody else's lane. Now, there's some truth in that because if you're given a gift, use your gift. God will probably lead you to a church that needs your gift. Amen, as said every pastor. He's called you to to go to a church where your gift is needed. But if we're not careful, we'll be like, no, no, I got to stay in my lane. I can't go help those unorganized people over there. I got to find some organized people to be in my lane. I I can't go over there and give them mercy. Mercy's over here. They need to come over to. Now I want you to repicture that track and field. The oval, quarter of a mile, it's got all those lanes in it. Now, I want you to erase the lanes. Erase all the lines. All it is is a track, no lines on it at all. That's the kingdom of God. You see, the lane, stay in your lane. You're not supposed to be in a lane. The lane is in you. The gift is in you. And what we're called to do as the body of Christ is to go all over the track, helping people get to the finish line. So we're not supposed to stay in our lane, are we? Because there are no lanes. The lane is in us. The gift is in us. So what gift has God given you that he wants to do something that'll just blow your mind with the gift he's given you? What he's saying is don't, don't stay here. Go all over the place and help people get to the finish line. That's our job as believers in Christ. That's our job within the kingdom of God. And I'm not talking about just only helping Christians. I'm talking about helping people all over the place. I'm not saying the kingdom of God is this track with no lines. I'm saying the world in which we live is a track with no lines on it. And God's called us to go here and go there and help as many people as we possibly can using the gift that he's given us. The lane is within us and we roam all over the place. That's what God's called us to do. And He gives us that gift and that power. Thirdly, God supplies His grace and His victory. God supplies that. If you stumbled along the way, you've made some mistakes, you've messed up, aren't you thankful? God forgives us. He just overpowers us with forgiveness. It, it, the Word tells us it's His pleasure to give us the kingdom, it's His pleasure to give us mercy and grace. And it was constantly his his, his biggest pet peeve against the really religious people is that they didn't have mercy. God just overrides us with forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, again, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, But as for me, uh, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. And God's grace is sufficient for you as well, isn't it? He said, For by my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, that's why we're we're given a gift and we're roaming all over the place, ministering to people who are better at other things than we are. Why? Because God's blessed them with that. But that should not intimidate us. We should go up to the, to the really rich person and say, hey, I want to help you. And in a Culture like us, it's kind of the rich are kind of like, oh, they don't need help, they have money. Rich people need help too. Poor people need help. We all need help. We all need help. So we're called to roam all over the place and say, hey, I've got weaknesses. I, I shouldn't be able to do this, but God has empowered me to do this, and so God is flowing through my life, and so therefore it works. Well, that's an exciting life. That's a life where we get to see, man, I don't even know how to minister to this person, but God empowers me to do that, and God gives me the wisdom in that moment. And so, therefore, I am not intimidated by their gifts. I'm not intimidated by their money. I'm not intimidated by their education. I'm not intimidated by anything they have or anything they don't have. God's called me to minister all across the line with the lame that he's called to be inside of me, that gift. So what is your gift? What is the gift that God's given you? And I know probably most everyone in here knows, but if you don't, here's your challenge. Hey, find out, what God, what have you gifted me with? And how can I use that to the glory of God? See, God does not lead us into everything. In order to do everything, he empowers us to run the race with the lane inside of us that he has chosen and we roam all over the track helping as many people as we possibly can. Trust Jesus to define your worth and it's not by comparison with other people. Your ministry is to cross into other people's space and help them break the finish line at the end of the race. And we're all going to get to the end of the race, aren't we? We're all going to get to the end of the race. We're all going to break that tape. We're all going to die one day. And that's the end on this earth in this body. Aren't you thankful it's not the end? Amen? Thank God we get to live for eternity in the presence of God because of Jesus Christ. And so, our job until then is to help as many people get across the finish line, help as many people live in prosperity and goodness and peace and mercy as we possibly can. We're helping other people get to the finish line. You know, in the Olympics, it's uh, the 100 yard or meter dash or 400 meter or whatever, all those races. They always have a tape, they always have a finish line. You break the tape, you break the, the line first, and you're the winner, and everybody else is the loser. Not so in the kingdom. Not so in the kingdom. Every Christian's going to break the tape. That that tape is going to go right across. You're going to break that tape because it's your tape. It's your time. It's your life. And our job is to say, I want to help you break that tape strong and mighty. I want to see you go from here to there, wherever there is, however long there is, living for Jesus Christ. Encourage, strengthen, bless, ministering. And that's our confession for this year in 2022 is that we're going to receive the gifts God's given us. We're going to run with that lane inside of us. We're going to roam all over this community and all over this church, helping as many people as we possibly can. And it makes no difference what you're bad at. What matters is what God's gifted you with. doesn't matter what you don't have. What matters is what God's given you. And that's where we're going to go.